welcome to a new Paradigm of Education podcast. I'm your host, Monique Sayers, and today we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Kristen Miller. Before I go ahead and introduce Kristen, I'd like to introduce the podcast for those people that are tuning in. So this podcast was created for educators, parents, mentors of the world that are having a vision for creating change in education. This vision can be a stepping stone. It can be a massive change. And it looks slightly different for every person that I've, I've met on the podcast. But together with us all holding hands, this is creating the wave of change for this new paradigm of education that we're in. So today, our special guest is Kristen Miller. And I'll explain who Kristen is. So Dr. Kristen Miller is a trainer, coach, consultant, and motivational speaker with a passion for empowering people to tap into their innate strengths and help them to find their internal compass to achieve higher levels of success, motivation, and productivity. So Kristen has empowered over 1,200 educators and 25,000 students across the United States. She's also a sought after trainer and speaker and an engineer. She's been a teacher as well as an assistant principal intervention coach and has been in schools across Northern California. On top of that, she's also an author and a creative. She's a singer songwriter with three published albums as well as an engineer. And she spent multiple years touring California performing her songs. Wow, that sounds really interesting. <laughs> so I'd love to hear a little bit more about you, Christian. Could you just further introduce yourself to our audience, please? Yes, absolutely. So thank you so much for having me today, Monique. I'm so excited to be here with you and all of your listeners on your podcast. Um, so yeah, I, I have a different sort of a background. I went to undergraduate school, uh, UC Berkeley for an engineering degree and started in the professional world as an engineer, but learned very quickly that I had a passion for serving underserved students and went back to school, got my teaching degree and started teaching in 2006. So I was a high school math teacher for many years and then shifted into sort of increasing levels of leadership um, and uh, took an assistant principal position, was doing that for a short time, but fell in love with restorative practices and trauma-informed practices and decided to start my organization with Heart Project and now have the um, great honor to go around and uh, work with schools and districts um, Actually, it's kind of expanding across the country uh, to teach about trauma-informed practices, restorative practices, social-emotional learning, and a lot of the things that you are also doing with um, your, your listeners and in your world. So that's it. <laughs> Yeah, it's so necessary as teachers and parents and educators, we've all seen this, this need, like it's no longer just, oh, we should just teach it on the side. It's an actual like embodied need in education, whether you're at home, whether you're at, at school, it doesn't matter where you are. But I really believe that this is the core principle of a new paradigm of education in the fact that it all comes back to us. It comes back to our brains and us, you know, being uh, regulated, our children being regulated and I'm sure you have a lot to share on that. Um, yeah. So I'd love to know, like, for example, um, maybe you can just go into a little bit more detail exactly how you help students, um, like with what they need. Sure, absolutely. So I actually, um, when I first entered the teaching profession, I always, I came in with this mindset of serving students based on their needs. And um, I was, uh, 
engaging my students in all these activities to help them be regulated and feel relationally safe without really knowing that that's what I was doing. And now, you know, fast forward several years, we have these explicit frameworks to uh, describe those techniques. So regulation and relational strategies, those are um, very deeply rooted in trauma-informed practices, um, the relationship piece restorative practices. And um, so ultimately, over the course of my time in education, I was uh, uh, told to really highly focus on academics, test scores. That was, that was the goal. And I threw myself into that work and didn't really see a, a lot of movement. My final year in the classroom, I said, this is crazy. We're doing things in a way that is not effective for students. So we had a new administrator at this school and I approached her, I said, hey, I, I'd like to try something a little different this year. This is what I wanna do. I wanna incorporate what I called Wellness Wednesdays into my math classroom every Wednesday. It was actually supposed to be a short amount of time. We had block periods and um, dive into certain topics like mindfulness was one of them, empathy, uh, anger versus aggression, or assertion versus aggression, um, uh, rewriting negative thinking, all these topics. And the students just soaked it up. And it ended up being the whole 90 minute period every Wednesday, we really dove into those practices. And so with that, um, uh, what we now know, so neuroscientists, my formalized training in trauma-informed practices is from um, the Neurosequential Network and Dr. Bruce Perry. And um, he has done an incredible amount of work with traumatized kids um, over the years and discovered that the way that our brains process information is from the bottom up. So what that means is, um, right now, for example, we're having this conversation and um, uh, theoretically, we're both regulated, meaning our body temperature is within normal range, our heart rate, all that stuff. And so the words that I'm saying can move up through the other portions of your brain, the diencephalon cerebellum and the limbic system, and the functions that um, those portions of your brain are responsible for have to do a lot with relational safety. And again, so we both are in a space where we're feeling a sense of relational safety, I would hope. I mean, you're probably not worried that somebody is going to come in and <laughs> interrupt this podcast. Um, and so you can sit here and listen to these words and reason and reflect, and it gets up to the cortex. So that's what I did um, very heavily my final year in the classroom, was incorporated um, a lot of movement, a lot of breathing activities, stretching, um, and then activities to build community and relationships. And so I ended up teaching less math that year. I taught math 67% of the time. I'm, I'm kind of a nerd like that. I love research and numbers. And so I, I really dove into the data, but um, ended up doing math, uh, common core math 67% of the time. And the other 37, or excuse me, 33% was uh, relationally safe activities, uh, regular, regulatory activities, and the students academically grew in one semester. And this is an 85% poverty school. They grew academically in Common Core Math 79% in one semester. And so that to me just was uh, more evidence to support that we need to shift the way that we are working with our students to be more holistic. So. Yeah, wow, there's a lot um, I could reflect on 
with you around that. That's, that's, that no, it's amazing. It's amazing. My brain was lit up and probably in different ways to everybody else, because um, I, I've been looking at the um, educational model, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and also the chakra system. And both of those start at the bottom yes. with safety. And when you just explained to me about the brain, it makes sense to me. I never knew that we start with the brain from the bottom and we go up. And so perhaps why these diagrams are placed this way is because of the way we process the information. Because I know the top of the brain, I don't know the name, you can tell me in a moment, is the place of, um, you know, enlightenment, as they say. And it makes it just made sense to me that the brain is um, the mirroring of these these models or vice versa. So that was really interesting. Would you mind just to share with me a little bit about the brain in that way? Then I'll go back and ask you a little bit about the students. Yeah, absolutely. And you're 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 absolutely right. I actually went so far um, in in the states. We learn a lot about Maslow's hierarchy in terms of education, and there is a tremendous amount of overlap between. I actually outline this in some of my trainings. I put Maslow's hierarchy right next to the, it's like an upside down pyramid representation of the brain and show that the self-actualization piece is in line with the cortex. That's the enlightenment piece that you're talking about. But in order for us to achieve that, we have to have, as you said, um, a sense of safety and connectedness and belonging and love. And um, so, yeah, there's, that's, um, it's fascinating stuff. And, and I agree. I, I, I think if we can, if all of us can start really understanding that on a more deep level, we can really reach our students much more effectively. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, no, it didn't answer my question a lot. And also it just made me a little bit more curious because of the way the brain functions and learning and also the aspect of mindfulness and the different aspects of the brain. Like I'd really love to know um, beyond us at our level of safety where the children are feeling happy and regulated and they're ready to learn, are there different areas of the brain that they're tapping into based off the kind of learning they're receiving and how does that fit with the cortex which they call enlightenment? Like I just wonder how it, it all flows around because as a teacher sure. myself it really interests me to know this and I'm sure it will help parents and everything as well because then we could then match activities to match those areas of the brain. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So so again, the bottom is the brainstem, um, which, so I'm going to use my hand. I, I have an actual diagram that I could pull up, I'm, but the, I don't have it prepared to put up here, but um, the bottom is the brainstem and that is a sense of uh, regulation. So the things that we don't think consciously about doing, um, our brainstem is um, making sure, like I said, our body temperature is within normal range, um, our heart rate, blood pressure, all those things. And so that's kind of on autopilot. And what we have found is that students, particularly students who are impacted by trauma or not even students, but people who are impacted by trauma are dysregulated. So their body temperature may not be within normal range. A lot of times their heart rate is just sky high. And so any information that comes in from the outside world gets stuck there but we can, for example, regulatory activities, we can incorporate movement, uh, dance, music, uh, rhythm. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other activities. Those are the main ones that I use, breathing activities, and that helps open up the brainstem. So that's that, that piece. Then we move up to the next um, two, we kind of lump those together. The midbrain is what we call it, but it consists of the diencephalon cerebellum and the limbic system. 
And this is the portion of the brain that is responsible for a sense of emotional safety. There's a, a decent a number of other functions involved, but generally speaking, emotional and relational safety. And so um, some of the activities that can be done um, to promote a sense of relational safety are uh, just let's say, how do I, modeling being vulnerable and, and sharing your own life stories and really connecting with each other on a level that's not surfacey, um, taking a genuine interest in your students as people. Um, another set of activities I would do um, wellness warmups in addition to academic warmups. And um, so they'd have their math warmup and then right next to it would be this check-in, this wellness check-in. How are you doing today? And what is making you feel that way? And students who were struggling, I, I gave them all these little notebooks to take notes, but I would let them just continue writing because that would help promote that relational safety and then circle back with the math after they had um, done that. Uh, community building circles, that's another one to help promote relational safety. But again, so suppose a student is regulated, uh, information can move up into the limbic system um, and the diencephalon cerebellum, but if they don't feel that sense of relational safety, information gets stuck there. And so if we can incorporate more activities to promote relational safety, then their brain is open for, their cortex is open for business and the academics can stick better. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it really does make sense. And then I also had further information come to me. I wanted to know, um, because there's a lot of talk around, um, you know, science versus art or, you know, mindfulness versus science or spirituality versus science. And I am seeing there's this core link. Personally, I see this core link. And I guess meeting somebody like you, I'm wanting to sort of bridge the gap to people to show that that it can almost be one and the same. It's just titled a different way. And so my curiosity was around, you know, we talk about right-hand learners and left-hand learners and how does it pass through the brain, this information? Is it the same? Is it different? And how can we help support people with that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. So um, a lot of the activities, again, with my background in trauma-informed practices, a lot of the activities I'd like to reframe that a bit. I say trauma-informed practices, and sometimes that can put people off, but um, because some of us can look at it and go, well, I'm not traumatized, so this doesn't apply to me, but that's not the case. The activities that um, we're talking about are beneficial for everybody, regardless of whether you have experienced trauma or not. Although I will argue that with COVID, we all have experienced a trauma at this point, but some of the the work that we try to do is um, to essentially help create new neural pathways in our brains. We get stuck. Um, so uh, another piece of the puzzle is um, the fight or flight system. Are you familiar with fight or flight and the amygdala and all of that? Uh, okay. Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with it, but perhaps some parents maybe, um, or not even parents, other people may also like to know a bit more about it, but I've personally experienced that. I'm sure as humans, we've all experienced that, but we don't know the technical terms for it, perhaps. Okay, perfect. So yeah, um, so this is all kind of like you mentioned, it's all one giant complex system that has so many overlapping and interweaved parts, but 
we do tend to separate left brain versus right brain. But ultimately, um, our brains are hardwired to, um, I'm going to move into the fight flight amygdala piece. So if we go back, you know, hundreds of decades to caveman days, um, our primary purpose back then was to remain alive. And the way that, that, that we did that, the way that we were able to continue on as a species is because we have this part, portion of our brain, the amygdala, which is basically an alarm system that says you're in danger in some way and you need to get out of this situation. So for example, if you know, you're out and collecting nuts or berries or something and you see a bear, amygdala goes into, you know, super high, like you, you have this red flashing light, you need to get out of here and it prepares your body to run away. Or sometimes the, that's the flight part. Then there's the fight part. You might fight the, whatever the threat is. And there's a couple of other ones that have come to light, but ultimately because of that, 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 even though that was very useful back in caveman days, um, it's still hardwired into our brains. And so we have these very deeply embedded neural pathways that are remain from our evolution, essentially. And so um, some of this work that we're trying to do is help folks uh, rewire their brains to make it more healthy and more positive. And some of the activities that we talk about specifically are um, different stretches and things that help us cross the midbrain to help increase those connections between the right and left brains. So for example, one example of an, uh, um, something of a stretch, let's do a stretch to promote that increased connectivity is taking your right hand and stretching it to the left side of your body. So exactly, you're crossing the midline. That in and, of, and then and then again, obviously the other side as well. That in and of itself, just that movement of uh, going across the midline helps in, increase those connections. And then from, and that's, that's like a scientific background, but as far as, um, cause I also, as, as you mentioned in the introduction, I do have a very interesting background, a very, uh, intense science and, and technology and math background, but also the art and music piece. And, um, I think the more that we can do to help, um, interweave those two very sort of polarizing aspects, um, the better. Because ultimately, um, when we think art, creativity, music, it's thinking outside the box. You're creating something brand new that didn't exist before and tapping into the emotions, the feeling aspect of things. And we need to do that if we're going to be able to absorb the technical scientific stuff if that makes sense. That's again, that's the neuroscience. We can't get to the, the really hardcore science, technical left brain stuff, unless our right brain has its needs met. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's very, very helpful um, to understand that 
we need both um, types of of learning and more. I mean, there's obviously more than that. But that's a simplified, simpler, simplified um, way of explaining it, and it just makes a lot of sense because you know, in the past two hundred years in this industrialized um, revolution, a lot of that has been focused more on rigid style learning. But what I find interesting in terms of evolution is it hasn't always been that way. Like we're talking so much about the past two hundred years, but what about previous to that? And what about previous to that? Like there was so much music and creativity and evolution as well and so you know what I feel now in this new paradigm is not just focusing on this one little box because we're actually boxing ourselves in by focusing on that box and expanding out and just imagining broader well evolution is huge it's vast it's like the brain right it's massive exactly yeah exactly and you, I, I completely agree with you we used to we talk about um uh, there's, you know, poverty clearly exists in terms of the traditional sense, financial poverty, but we have, because of the way we have evolved, and specifically with technology, we are experiencing this relational poverty now, where, sure, we're, we're more connected than ever. I actually, you know, I was teaching a group of teachers in India a few weeks back from my living room, which is so amazing that I can connect and, and with you you're across the world as well we're, we're sitting here and having this conversation but um we have lost the ability to deeply connect with one another and that's you know if we go back to um our roots when there were issues back before we had all this technology we would sit around in a circle around the fire and talk it out we don't do that anymore we don't know how to talk to one another and so we really need to get back to our roots and what we are hardwired to do. It's like we're becoming less human as time goes on. And I don't know that it's serving us well. Yeah. And also, I think the, the beautiful thing that we have had is, while she's saying that, is we also have started to bridge these connections as well. Um, and people are wanting to, especially after the pandemic, are wanting to reconnect with people. It's like magical to see people again. So I think that has been one gift. And I, I hope that in the future, it's going to expand out even more. But thank you for sharing that as well. And so I have another question because I have a lot of questions. <laughs> My next question Love is, um, so in terms of learning, so like you've talked about that they need to be regulated, right? What I'm curious to know is, um, because this is just from my own personal state of um, evolution, where I have practiced a lot of meditation and mindfulness. I noticed from there, I personally had a lot of more concentration. I had less anxiety. Um, and I even remember when I was in school, we did like this learning to learn activity many, 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 many years ago when I was in high school. And he took us through this like visualization uh, process. And we were like kind of almost in a hypnotic state. Yeah, this was, you know, 20 years ago, whenever it was. And um, I still remember it to this day, like just just feeling like fascinated that how, you know, how calm I felt and that learning could really be that simple. So what I'm wanting to know is like, can you explain how using the cortex or whatever you want to call it, um, this type of part of the brain and mindfulness, how that links to learning? I'd love to know that. Sure. Yeah. So, um, and I, I actually did um, incorporate a lot of mindfulness work with my students um, and it was it was awkward for them at first. I'm not, I, I'm going to be really honest. They, they were kind of like, why are we doing this? I have a um, Tibetan singing bowl. And one of the things I did was went into the middle of the classroom and hit it. And the goal was all you're doing is trying to wait until you don't hear the sound anymore. And you're just sitting there and waiting for that and to try and promote sort of this 
we're here in this present moment and we need to just absorb that. And then we did some other, um, we did a mindful walking activity. They went outside and they were just, all they had to focus on was how the wind felt hitting their face and, and how, the, you know, the sounds they heard with their shoes going across the ground. And they were skeptical at first, but I had students afterwards who were like, can we do that again? <laughs> um, but ultimately it's, those are activities to help. It's the regulation piece to bring your brainstem um, or the functions that your brainstem are responsible for back to uh, within normal range. And so we do, uh, we get, as you mentioned, you mentioned the anxiety piece. Um, anxiety is more rooted in the, the midbrain. Um, but oftentimes, uh, with anxiety can, can help dysregulate you. So I, for me, I, I have suffered from anxiety in the past and, um, increased heart rate, for example, that happens, shortness of breath, all of that. And that that's the regulation piece again. And so um, then brainstem. So um, mindfulness in and of itself helps regulate your brainstem. And then that opens, opens your brain up, your midbrain up. Um, and, and I would even argue, I don't know that there's any actual scientific evidence for this, but I've seen this with my students. When you make time to incorporate things like meditation and mindfulness, that shows them that you care about them as human beings. And that piece of it creates a sense of relational safety, which then opens up the midbrain, which then opens up so that they can access their cortex. Uh, thank you. Yeah, that's interesting to hear it from a researching uh, perspective as well around that because I've had obviously experience with it in a different way and yeah thank you for that um I also felt into you know these creators of the world like um the scientist who created the the mathematician who created the black hole Sri Ramadama he was somebody and they talk about that he had this capacity to tap into this aspect of the brain and from there, he would almost bring it down, like he'd see it and visualize it. And then from there, he'd then bring it back down and then create. Is that also the same part of the brain or is that like a different part? Um, I, that I think is using, I'm going to say, I don't know the answer to that, but okay. I think um, it's, he definitely was tapping into his cortex and that's more of a, uh, yeah, I think that's more of tapping into the cortex where you're looking at something and you're going, okay, what's, I have this big vision. So I've done that as well with certain programs where um, I, I was actually given in my, um, gosh, what, that was like my eighth year of education. I was asked to create a uh, career technical education pathway, a STEM-based pathway where um, they said, we, we want it to be based on Stanford's design school and have um, advanced manufacturing and engineering figure it out. And so I had to take this idea, this sort of like, okay, I think I know what you want and break it down. And so I, it was break it down by different steps. Okay. Well, if the end goal is to get them, for example, into Stanford's design school, then they need to know this set of skills. And if they need to know that, then break it down even further. But that I think is more of a, um, using the cortex uh, because that's where you have abstract, reflective, and concrete cognition. Um, but you can't do that unless 
you're regulated and or feeling relationally safe. So I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, but. no, it did answer my question um, because I've been very interested in this, this aspect of learning because I think it's an untapped aspect of learning that hasn't been researched much. But I, right. I see results in my personal world and um, other people around me, um, you know, and also famous creative people like even Einstein, like all of these amazing creative people, they have this ability and this genius, but it's not that they are just themselves a genius. It's that they are, they just have this part of their brain accessed. And so that's why I was really interested to know more and more how we could do that. Cause I really feel like this could be the key for the new paradigm because it's this new way of learning. And it almost seems effortless because it's like the information is sort of just coming to us. We, we give off a, some kind of signal information is coming to us and it's it's effortless. It's not this kind of grind and needing to follow a certain roadmap and getting lost. And um, and yeah, I just, I don't know. It just seemed to me like that's why I wanted to ask you it. Well, that, so on that note, you're, I, we might be going off on a bit of a tangent here. I'm also fascinated with um, I mean, we, we don't use all of the portions of our brain. And so we're, we're talking about the portions of our brain that we know with 100% certainty are responsible for what we do in life right now. But there are other portions that we that exist that we don't know enough about. Um, and this is where you get into sort of the more spiritual side of things. And um, the universe and setting out, sending out signals and then the universe responding and, you know, potentially having the ability to communicate with spirits. And, and there's so much other important stuff that I, we just don't know enough about yet. Um, but I, I would not be surprised if that also was a piece of the puzzle to help bring some of these larger scale visions even into the picture. Because for example, I've, when I've been asked to create programs, um, it's, yes, I use my cortex to work out the details, but where does the initial idea even come from? And sometimes I'll be writing, so I just finished another book, um, and I, as I was writing, in the middle of writing, it's almost like I felt like I wasn't even in my body, like there was something else taking over and putting words on the page, and then I went back and stopped and read it, and I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good. I don't know if that actually came from me or somewhere else, but <laughs> um, anyway, it just, so it's, it's, I agree. It's fascinating. And I, I am so excited. I am just so fascinated with the brain itself and what it's capable of. And I'm with you. I want to learn more. I, I, I nerd out on this stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really find it fascinating because I've been studying a lot about, you know, quantum physics and energy. And I figure, well, every single you know, every single part of us is energy, you know, whether we're, we're here in matter or, you know, in the air and the water, it's everywhere. And so the, the brain signals are also energy. Everything is energy in this way. And I'm saying it in a simplified way because I haven't, you know, studied it fully. I'm just, I'm just learning it myself through my own experience, but it just fascinated me to feel like there is definitely space for this um, to be further researched. And um, what I have found is it hasn't been researched in the past. And so people have either been believers or not believers, but I actually can see there's a bridge that can be met that, that will, that will bring it to a bridge and be like, oh, wow, this is the new way of learning. And that's why I was yeah, bringing it up in this podcast, because we're all about a new paradigm. And so we're looking at new ways of expanding our, our learning for ourselves and for our children, you know, to help everybody. Absolutely. And that's, what's interesting about us, but, um, 
doing the work that I do, asking teachers to incorporate things like mindfulness and meditation and breathing and stretching and movement and all that stuff, especially at the secondary level. High school teachers, they are very skeptical. Um, and and there, there are some, I, I shouldn't say all, they're not all skeptical. There are some that, like you said, there are some that are believers and some that are not. And this is what I love about research is now I always bring it back to the research of how the brain processes information and that in and of itself kind of opens the door for the non-believers to be like, oh, huh, I didn't think about it in this way. I actually had a teacher come up to me after one of my trainings and he was like, man, I was really looking forward to being like tuning you out today, but then you started talking about the brain and how we process and neuroscience. And I, so I paid attention and I learned a lot and thank you so much. And so, and then he kind of took the, the ideas. And so I, that's why I agree. I think the more research we can do, uh, that is our key to bridging, bridging the divide and, and really helping us uh, unfold and discover a new way, a new paradigm of education. Yeah, totally. Thank you for, for saying that as well. And I, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree because, you know, the reason I'm so interested in this is because I've just seen the way that it has helped me and it has helped so many children. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't we want to help everybody? Like, it's just another thing that can be added in and it just, it makes things more effortless. Like, I don't, it's like a win-win. I don't see how it doesn't work. And that's why I'm so like passionate about sharing it with everybody. And, and, you know, I think we'll see the shift. Um, You know, we'll, we'll see this, we'll see the shift. We've already started to see the shift. Like mindfulness has become an acceptable word. Meditation has been an acceptable thing like oh what are you doing after after school I'm going to go meditate oh okay you know 10 years ago that would have been like oh my gosh woo woo meditation you know so we are already getting there collectively I feel like as humanity and I think this is going to be more and more and the more people that are taking a stand and you know researching or doing their their gift or their part for this uh, new paradigm is how we're going to really make a shift you know absolutely couldn't agree more couldn't agree more. Yeah. So from there, I'd love to ask you, um, Dr. Kristen, what is your vision for a new paradigm of education? I ask this to every single guest that comes on our podcast. It can be anything. Um, so my um, start really taking account, taking into account the whole child and not just the academic side of them. Um, we have been really pigeonholing ourselves into uh, academics only all the time, academics for all, you know, bell to bell, you, you should be doing nothing but academics and it has not served us well and actually kind of backfired. Um, we, if students genuinely want to learn how to, for example, solve equations for X, they can look it up on YouTube, they can look it up on Khan Academy. But what they can't look up is how to be a respectful, responsible human being. They can't look up how to connect with each other. That's something you just have to experience and do in the present moment right then and there. So, um, my, my vision is to revamp the system to where I, I think we, at least I, I'm based in California and 67, the last time I looked 67 or 65% of California families are living in poverty. Wow. And that shows a very large portion of our students and families that are experiencing trauma. Mm. And so 
I know this, what I'm about to say is controversial, but that's okay. Sometimes we need to think outside the box to get to a better space. Uh, I think we need to do more ACE screenings, adverse childhood experience screenings to tap into what trauma exi exists with our students and then use that to guide our instruction to make sure we are incorporating more activities to help our students feel regulated and relationally safe, back off the academics, and that will help us launch into this space that we I haven't ever really achieved before. That's a very long-winded answer, sorry. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Everybody's answer has been that way. It's like I can feel the um, the gift within you that needs to come out and be shared, and that's what's really important when we when I ask that question around, around the, the vision. And yeah, my hope is that there's um, an abundance of people and resources that can bring it all to life as well, you know, because that's also necessary, right? <laughs> absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Great. Um, and so before we close today, I'd love just to know, is there anything that you would, would like to support people with or how they could reach out to you in any way? Sure. Yeah. I, if anybody would like more information um, or would like some help kind of get, getting this information out to their uh, spheres of influence, please feel free to reach out to me. My website is uh, withheartproject.com and there are a variety of ways to contact me through there. I'm on social media, um, lots of contact information on my website. Thank you so much for coming and joining um, us today on this podcast. And I know I've learned a lot about um, how the brain helps us to become regulated and that this really is the key for, it feels like for everything else. So I really thank you for um, just enlightening me on that and also on the different regions of the brain. I feel like I could talk all day and ask you a thousand more questions, but we probably would be here for a few hours with all the questions I have. I'm quite fascinated by this at the moment. Um, so thank you for your time and energy and joining us on the new paradigm of education today. Thank you so much, Monique. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to our podcast, A New Paradigm of Education. We have a group, A New Paradigm of Education, on Facebook if you're wanting to connect with other educators and parents from around the world. And as Gandhi always says, uh, be the change that you wished 